Welcome back to Peaks Chats. We're joined by Mark Frost scholar, historian, Twin Peaks <laughs> expert, uh, legend in his craft, Michelle from Fulminal Analyst. Welcome. Can I, can I say something? You joke, but reading this book did does feel like you are entering the mind of Mark Frost. <laughs> uh, you know how sometimes people talk about how like filmmakers are just using movies to deal with their like personal like whatever is like, oh, Wes Anderson really likes dolls, so all his movies look like dollhouses, yada, yada, yada. All that stuff. The, I feel like Mark Frost <laughs> is using Twin Peaks just to get out all of his thoughts about conspiracy theories <laughs> and the story of paranormal <laughs> and extraterrestrial activity in the United uh-huh. States in the 20th century. Because that's what this book is. No it's, way. It's in, okay. The best way I could describe this book is... Um, it, it really is Mark Frost lectures to you about the paranormal history of the 20th century. Okay. <laughs> like, that's what this book is. This book is that for two-thirds of it, and then one-third is, all right, all right, fine. Here's what happened to all the characters in Twin Peaks. Like, I guess I'll give you that. Yeah. But the, the rest is like, all right. Do you guys want to hear about Project Sign? And like that's what the book is. Yeah. And it's and at times what? it's at times it's very much like, what are you doing, Mark? Mark, buddy, like Mark. if you if you like this so much, fine, but write a different book about this. And there are times where it is legitimately terrifying, like to read this book. There's some shit in it that you're like, oh fuck, oh wow, we live in a dark, terrifying world. So just to, to, to flesh this out a little bit for the listener, uh, Mark Frost did not uh, work on Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. And so he built up a sort of pent up evil energy inside of him. Mm-hmm. And in uh, October 18th of 2016, he released a book called The Secret History of Twin Peaks, uh, which Michelle did the wonderful uh, favor for, of reading for us and is going to be talking about it to us in a segment that we like to call frosted tips uh uh, hold on frosted tips and then running up the stairs (laughs) (laughs) that's what okay so the book is called the secret history of twin peaks and the format that it is on it is an epistolary novel which it's a dossier it's a dossier of documents Uh, so so basically it's two different storylines on one, end, on one end, you have the dossier you're reading, which is basically the story, the history of paranormal and extraterrestrial phenomena in the United States from the 17th, 18th century to the present. Uh, and on one end, and what that has to do with the town of Twin Peaks. And on mm-hmm. one hand, you're reading the notes that this uh, special agent of the FBI, who is identified only as TP, 
is doing these notes on the dossier because they, I think it's a she, they have been assigned. I, I know what her, her, it's a she. I, 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 yeah, I know what her name I is. I also know who it is. Yeah, uh, It's uh, Tamara Preston. She has been assigned by Gordon Cole to figure out like uh, who wrote the dossier and, and what the fuck's up with this dossier. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. basically that's the two formats. So on one end you have Mark Frost writing this story from the perspective of some an, an unidentified writer who only names himself the archivist. And he's tracing back all these like conspiracy theories and UFO phenomena and kind of connecting it to the mythology of Twin Peaks. There's a bunch of like UFO paraphernalia, which is reframed as like maybe what we think are UFOs are actually like Like creatures, creatures from another dimension coming through ours in the black. Yeah. So it's all that stuff. Uh, And I should preface here. I have not seen the return. And I do know that he wrote this after they submitted a plan for the se- the third series. So if you ask me to think, like, what do you think The Return is about? I'm thinking alternate dimensions comes into play here minimally. Like, th- there has to be something with alternate dimensions because they that's kind of the, the, the path this book is going. Mm, so so okay. I'm going to I'm going to break it down into sections because that's how the book, the dossier is kind of divided. The yeah. first section is uh, focusing on the uh, expedition of William Clark and Mary Oether Lewis <laughs> in up. 1805. Wait, no, <laughs> this stop is not it. a joke. So the stop first it. section... No, 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 no. This is real, this is real. So the first section starts <laughs> with... So the thing is that what Mark Frost is doing is he's using actual historical events and to, the, and to yeah. tell you, the reader, what is like actual history and stuff that he's making up, uh, the... Timer Preston, who's reading the dossier with you, whatever is actually real, she has a footnote that says verified. And whatever whatever is fiction, she has a footnote that says, I don't know about this. <laughs> Basically, well, as it turns out, <laughs> William Clark and Meriwether Lewis, when they were going towards the West, there was a mm-hmm. six-day gap in their diaries that nobody knows what happened. What? People, f- <laughs> No, this is real. This is real. I'm not making this Wait, up. That part's Be- real? That's real? That part is real. Okay. That- People yeah, they think probably that, just got bored of writing it or something. Yeah, yeah, people think that they were just like building canoes or something. Yeah. What Mark Frost thinks happened is that Meriwether Lewis, who Mark Frost makes very clear, is a Mason. Like, there's a lot of Mason no. stuff here and Illuminati. No. Stop it. <laughs> Secret no Society way. is coming to play a lot. The word lodge gets said so many times. But basically the thing that, that Mark Frost is saying that Meriwether Lewis went into contact with a a uh, Native American chief called Twisted Hair who told him about a place uh, behind the waterfall, yeah. which is very clearly supposed to be the lodge. I don't know if it's supposed to be the White Lodge or the Black Lodge, but it's described a as very lodge. much... It's, it's described as very much like Glastonbury Grove, like that place where Cooper goes through the lodge. Okay. And not only that, but Twisted Hair gives him the ring that we see in Firewalk With Me. So this oh, is okay. the earliest... Uh, known site of the ring. <laughs> so there's ring lore. Yes, there is ring lore. We don't know what the ring is for, but we do know that Twisted Hair, when he gives the ring to Meriwether Lewis, he says, do not wear this ring. And then we get a letter 
we get a, a, a page from the personal diaries of Thomas Jefferson where Whoa. he's recounting how, hold on, where he's recounting, <laughs> stick with me, where he's recounting how he got a private letter from Meriwether Lewis that he yep. hid from everyone where Meriwether yep. Lewis describes going into that location yep. and seeing something that he could not describe. And one of the things, uh, I'm not sure if this is it's in this part or later on, but one of the things that is mentioned is that he 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 smelled something burning. Which uh, okay. we do know that that's a smell you smell when you're about, uh, yeah, when you're about to get into the lodge. But Jefferson says that in these letters that he just goes completely insane in these letters. Uh, he mentions things like a silent man. And then he has a passage where he says, lights from the sky, the silvery spheres, music, like some heavenly choir, fire that burns but does not consume, colors unseen or unimagined, flowing from all things, gold, all gold, bright and shining. And he says that those notes, before he becomes more logical and goes back into the normal diaries, uh-huh. it ends with him saying, I should have heeded his warning. Uh, uh, Tamara Preston so note. Yeah, well, but that's the thing. We don't know if he put the ring on or if he, he did he the warning to not go to the lodge or whatever. Oh, that's okay. like that's something Tamara Preston also wonders. And then the book spends a solid 30 pages dissecting the fact that this is also real. There's a lot of conspiracy theories about the death of Meriwether Lewis because Meriwether Lewis died of quote unquote suicide with a gunshot to the back of his head. <laughs> and and after people reported hearing a conflict. So there's a lot of stuff where he's basically breaking down um, how the death of Meriwether Lewis was related to this guy called... Um, Clark. Hold on a second. You <laughs> so got Clark. <laughs> no, it's this guy called... Um, it's this actual historical figure. You can probably hear the sound of me turning pages. General James Wilkinson, who's considered okay. by historians to be one of the biggest traders in the history of the United States, who we know now was like selling secrets to Spain and had a plan yeah. with Aaron Burr to, fi- to fund oh, his own sure. monarchy. Stuff, yeah, 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 exactly. So the book basically implies that Wilkinson is part of a secret society that opposes the Freemasons. The Freemasons believe that people should have individual free will and this opposing society, which the book refers to as the Illuminati, is actually more for power being given to the elites to control the fate of the world. So the book is kind of the story of these two secret societies and they come in and out and in and out. Um, Is that that how the... Freemasons and the Illuminati work? No, is that hold their on. Thing? I have I do not know. Uh, what I do know is that like uh at page 33 of like 300 and something we get the first mention of Northwest Northwest Passage which gets uh-huh. brought brought up a lot and I know that was the that's the name of the pilot. movie version of the pilot. Uh, there's like a photo of a of a of a movie theater showing a movie called Northwest Northwest Passage in the point of the book. Um mm. But basically, this section of the book ends with uh, the dossier writer, who, again, we don't know who this is. And, and the question of who this is is, uh, is brought up several times. The dossier writer brings up how Lewis had a pouch around his neck that disappeared after he was, quote unquote, suicided. And many people think the ring was there. The next section concerns Chief Joseph of the Nice Purse. Uh, again, okay. real person, a yeah, Native American chief, yeah, yeah, 
who uh, led his people in an attempt to uh, to flee to Canada before they were captured by the United States. And again, real person. And it is said that Chief Joseph, before he led his tribe in escape, he went to a mysterious location in the Northwest region to talk to the sky people. And he there's oh. there's a quote from him that says, I will go now to the place known to our ancestors, seldom visited, the place of smoke by the great falls and twin mountains Tacoma. to seek the aid of the great spirit, spirit chief in a time of need. This part of the dossier is basically theorizing that like there were supernatural forces helping his escape, which is kind okay. of fucked up. And there's also a lot of like, there's a lot of like how there's this inherent evil at the birth of America <laughs> because true, there's true. A, there's a character who goes like uh, because they made a bunch of promises to Chief Joseph and the United States broke them and then this character goes because you have broken the, these promises uh, the people of this land will suffer uh, like that's there's this guy called um, Liver Eating Johnson who says. Uh, yeah he's like a mountain man who helps either the army or chief joseph i don't remember but liver eating johnson says he told (laughs) captain ernest wood of the u.s army that because of the army's treatment of the nez pierce purse tribe there would one day come quote unquote a reckoning so we kind of got we kind of got that from the from the beginning okay once we have those two sections then we move into a little bit of history of the owl cave uh, from from the show, there's like just a bunch of like there's like oh people going to the cave and the see weird stuff. Um, there's also a bit on the history of how the city was formed or the, the town of Twin Peaks was formed about the logging industry. There's a very interesting um, newspaper article here recounting the day where there was like a a water log jam, like a logging jam that clogged up the river, and then one day suddenly the the law the river caught on fire and the wood burned for seven days. And people think that was a sign from God that they were fucking up. Uh, by the way, the, the families involved in that, the Packers and the Martells, <gasps> uh, who we will learn more for later. And about wow, page... way back. At page 70, we have this uh, essay written by Andrew Packard in no. 1927 when, when he, he was... was in school or something? When, yeah, when he was 16, a, a Cub Scout, about how, awesome. the, about how awesome. he went to the woods and saw something weird. He saw a tall man in the woods and he also, there's a section where he describes how we entered a clearing where we planned to stop for some refreshment. A circle of trees stood in the center that we identified as sycamores, not fully grown, more like striplings, 12 in number, but uniform in size. There was also a strange smell in the air, like burning oil from a seized up engine with a hint of sulfur to it. Um, The person present in this, uh, in this encounter with the tall man is Scoutmaster Dwayne Milford, then 21. Oh, yeah. Stop it. Thank Stop you. It. This is the stuff Hell I remember. Yeah. The Milfords were like cool back in the day. Here's this the thing. And, and this is when the book reveals its true intentions. This book proposes that Dougie Milford, not Dwayne Milford, the mayor, Dougie Milford, the, 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 the newspaper owner, that guy who appeared in two episodes is basically a Forrest Gump of 20th century yeah. American history. <laughs> Based, let's fucking go. Okay. This is the guy so who, gets, ba- who gets sex to death, right? Yes, by Lana Milford. Comes oh, what back a way later. to go after living such a life. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so basically it starts wow. off by saying that Dougie, uh, Dwayne tells the young Andrew Packard that Dougie saw the tall man in the woods too. And that Dougie had experience with weird stuff. And 
that experience weird stuff and his desire to have the Cub Scouts recognize that he saw some weird shit in the woods, which the news brushed off as quote unquote Bigfoot, Bigfoot, led to him being banned from the Cub Scouts. And so he disappears and then he comes back as an Air Force volunteer during the war. And what happens is that um, he gets kind of brought into the secret group which the book theorizes is the group that was meant to defend the people who were doing the Manhattan Project. And then it, le- it leads into this interview, this like three-page interview, where Douglas Milford, again, two-episode character in Twin Peaks, recounts seeing an alien crash in Roswell, New Mexico. Well, so, wow, what a worldly traveler. He straight up describes it. He says, a crash site, that was obvious. A big shallow trench had been gouged into the ground as long as a football field. You could hear the hum of a generator, and right around the lights they set up were picking up pieces of bright, shiny metal. Strange material, unconventional looking, to say the least. MPs were assembling to set up a perimeter, and off in the distance, I spot a big clusterfuck of Air Force personnel bunched around something. So Douglas Milford sees the Roswell, New Mexico crash, which in this world is real. And he essentially gets hired to join um, a group of people in the army that investigate UFO sightings. Not only do they investigate UFO sightings, but they also work to make sure that people don't talk too much about them. So the dossier theorizes that Milford is the first ever man Man in black. black. (laughs) Yes. Wait. Stop it. I want to watch that show. So there's 20, about 20 pages where the book dwells into a uh, actual incident, the Kenneth Arnold incident about a Mm. man who saw flying saucers. And Mm. the book uses these actual newspaper clippings. As far as I can tell, these are actual things that happen. And Mm. they have these people that the people in the stories, they, they, they recount saying, Oh, I saw this one guy who looked what kind of generic and he was wearing a suit. And the book is like, is this Douglas Milford? Is this Douglas Milford? And then the book has like 17 different UFO sightings that it goes through. One of which is by a guy called Ray Palmer. And I was like, Ray Palmer, like that's a fake name, right? Because that's the name of the Adam from DC Ray Comics. Leland Palmer. Ray Palmer. By the way, they actually they actually do <laughs> know that Ray Palmer <laughs> was has no relationship with Palmer family. Okay. Ray Palmer is a real person who oh. wrote a magazine called Amazing Stories, and who was very influential in the UFO circles because he would publish a lot of UFO stories, and that's why the character of the Adam is named Ray Palmer. It's a it's an uh. homage to him. So basically. It recounts all of these fascinating UFO encounters, and it points out how Douglas Milford kind of was involved in all of this. And then it kind of takes a detour into JFK assassination. Okay, but here's the thing. This detour okay. is straight up, I got kind of fucked in the head reading this because... Uh, <laughs> it is actually, like, there's very little fiction in it. Like... The de- it brings up all <laughs> it's of this. It's actually starting to make a lot of sense. <laughs> it's kind of weird how a lot of this makes sense. Like the detour mentions this guy. First of all, it brings up this this thing called the three tramps, which are is this photo that they took right after JFK was shot of three guys who were right around the area and who claimed they were tramps who were train hopping, but they were super well dressed and well shaved to be tramps. And everyone thinks those guys killed JFK. And what? then. <laughs> And this book details one of those guys, a guy's one of those possible three tramps, a guy called Fresh Chrisman, who was like a CIA asset who was involved with the assassination of South Vietnam President Nho Dinh Diem 
three months before Kennedy was shot and and also was involved with. And this is the part that really got me. A guy Mm -hmm. called Charles Harrison. Okay. Charles Harrison was a mobster who who right before dying in prison or just dying, confessed to killing a bunch of people, including JFK. Charles Harrison, by the way, is the estranged father of Woody Harrison. <laughs> that is not a lot. That is not fiction. That is true. Like the I I swear to God, Whoa. I went on an hour-long Wikipedia. Like, it is insane. It is he I wish looks I could sh- like him. <gasps> It is so fucked up. Like, sir to God, this, honestly, this part of the book by itself is amazing. <laughs> Completely mm. divorced with the Twin Peaks stuff. Like, by this point, you're like, what, Twin Peaks? What? Who cares? But basically, the book follows um, uh, Douglas Milford, and it brings up a bunch of other, like, UFO sightings and how Douglas was working for someone by 1947. And in 1949, uh there was, uh, and then this, this, the book starts making this connection, which I think has to do with the return. And I swear to God, I sound like the fucking, like I pointed out, I sound like the Pepe Sivia meme with the guy like going, there's a connection oh. here. But I know that the return, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I know there's something to do with nuclear explosions in it. The book goes into this part where it talks about how like there was these um, nuclear factories all over America and because they were building the bomb and they were building other bombs, and when they were doing, were dealing with nuclear waste, the government hid the fact that they were just dumping nuclear waste in lands, uh-huh. Uh-huh. some of which were lands that once belonged to Chief Joseph from the beginning of the book. So, so basically, the archivist at one point proposes that UFO sightings are just like a government creation to hide its fuck-ups. So, like, the, everything that was like, oh... It says, like, this UFO story that I've been telling you, maybe it's not a UFO. Maybe what he saw was a plane dumping nuclear waste. And the government came up with the story. Uh, I believe that, for what it's it, worth. I do and, believe that UFOs are government cover-ups, so please go on. And then there's this part where Ter- Teresa Preston says, Tamara okay, Preston. Tamara Preston, sorry. She says, okay, I will admit my mind is reeling. It's after three in the morning and I feel like I'm teetering on the edge of a mine shaft. It seems clear that the archivist, by walking the reader through these more reasonable theories and then logically discounting them, is nudging us towards acceptance of the impossible. And this is the moment where the book, the archivist character, brings up that there's a passage in the Bible from Ezekiel where Ezekiel recounts an encounter with angelic chariots and he just lays out the, the, the fucking... Just like the, just a page on the Bible, and you read it, and it's like it's like a description of a spaceship. <laughs> and, and Teresa Preston is like, "I'm going to have to start drinking either a lot more of or a whole lot le- lot less coffee." <laughs> like <laughs> you can feel Teresa Preston is going kind of weird. It's also at this point where I figured out who the um, archivist is, and I'm gonna read this. I think you'll know once I read this paragraph. Mysteries are as much a part of a nature as sunrises. They may not yield to us, but they are freely available for all to wrestle with. The hoarding and withholding of secret knowledge is the trademark of covered societies and governments for the purposes of concentrating power and resources within a powerful elite, the few against the many. These polarities stand in direct opposition to one another. Mysteries enliven existence. Secrets strangle it. 
The battle continues to this day, and the flow of information in any quote-unquote free society depends on the outcome. Regarding the UFO phenomenon, this conflict was about to be enacted within the U.S. government and military. Do you guys do you guys want to guess who the archivist is? Because I figured it out at this point, and I was right. I know who it is. Do you want to guess, Magellan? Uh, is it Major Briggs? It is Major Briggs. Yeah. Like it is that reading that I heard that fucking like in his voice, yeah, Co- Cooper. Right. You know the secrets <laughs> of of the the universe. Like I heard society. that. Yeah. Uh, the next section That's of the book. That's kind of cool. I yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, a little bit back around. Yeah. The section of the next section of the book concerns a few UFO sightings that happened in Twin Peaks, and one of those was by Milford. And the thing about this UFO sighting that Teresa Preston brings up is that, first of all, at no point during the sighting does Milford actually say craft or alien or anything. He actually mm-hmm. is referring to something which I theorize to be a different version of the lodge because he describes going to this location and seeing these kids and seeing these lights and hearing these weird noises. And I think what happened is that he went into a location that was sort of like the lodge. But basically, mm-hmm. he sees these three kids, which had disappeared a few days earlier. And after he comes out of this location, these kids, kids reappear. And these kids are, one of them is Margaret Coulson, the yeah. log lady. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. other one is Harry Dean Stanton from Firewalk With Me. Yeah! <laughs> They're all friends. All the old people They're- on the show are friends. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and the third one is a guy who went to work for uh, movies. There's a lot of like references to movies. Teresa Preston uh, keeps uh, loves to mention movies and be like, "That movie's a classic. That movie's a classic." She loves to do that in the book, and it's really funny. So uh, weird. So basically, um, there's a section where they talk about owls, and Teresa Preston is like, "I hate owls. Owls are creepy." And she brings up that owls might be like a, a harbinger of bad times, uh, which makes sense within the concept of the show. Yeah, not what they seem. Yeah. And then we get into uh, – we finish up a little bit with Douglas Milford talking about a thing called Project Grudge, which is – okay, so Project Sign was the project that Douglas Milford was in. Oh and Project Sign was meant to investigate UFO sightings. But Project Grudge was came after Project Sign was meant to debunk – uh, UFO sightings, basically. Okay, okay. Um, it's kind of, it, it brings up Majestic 12 because of course it does. Uh, so it gets into all that and then it goes into the history of Twin Peaks. Oh. <laughs> in, this book, in this book called The Secret History of Twin Peaks, we're on page what right now? We are on page 152. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> and then it goes into the actual history of Twin Peaks. So basically, oh, okay. it details the origin of a lot of stuff. It tells you like the origin of the Bookhouse Boys, how they were like army volunteers who were riled up by a movie to like defend America from uh, the Japanese. And then after that, they became oh. the Bookhouse Boys. And how the Bookhouse Boys have always been led by a Truman and how there's always been a oh. Sheriff Truman for like three oh, generations. No. Yeah. So that's, that's silly. That's silly. No, uh, and then it, no, it kind of don't be weird. <laughs> but the thing, the thing that's really funny is that all of this is told in a book by a guy called a guy called Robert Jacoby. So Jacoby had a brother. Wait. Oh, yeah. So Jacoby had a brother, and apparently the town of Twin Peaks paid this guy to write a book about the history of Twin Peaks. So there's a lot of fluff, especially about Catherine and Pete Martell. Then we get that's into a, a section that's about so. Yeah, so we're not with the archivist anymore. Now we're reading. We are. We are with the archivist. He's talking about the history of Twin Peaks now. He's 
He's talking about another. Okay. It's a book within a book. He, now. He's yeah. talking about the this book. Yes, and okay. the that okay. the the book that I mentioned is like four pages of the whole thing. Like it just shows you four pages detailing like where the Martells came from, and then the book goes in. The archivist starts talking about Catherine and Pete Martell, and then uh, it basically starts doing like. It does a thing that I like, which is it's doing like a like what if so, you're you're reading somebody else tell you about the story of the show, which I think is fun. Yeah. There's a book I love called The Universe, which is that but for Doctor Who. So it's basically uh-huh. like a, a history book of the Doctor Who universe. So there's a lot of stuff where they're retelling plots from the show, but from the perspective of a history book, which that's cool. And uh-huh. then there's like 15 pages of a thing called of another dossier called the Andrew Packer Clay case which was built up by Cooper after they he solved the Laura Palmer case but before Wyndham Earl showed up he built this okay. uh, this case file and he left it in the book house so that Truman would find it and it would help him get over the death of Josie That's really right. sweet. Oh, I guess the 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 dossier paints Josie as a criminal mastermind. Yeah, that's whatever, right? Is that the joke? Well, that's good. Good for her, honestly. I yeah. respect it. No, that's but, girl but boss to yeah. me. This is the f- part that made me go like, huh. Because the Josie, Josie in the TV show is like, oh, she's looking out of a window and she's sad. The Josie in the book is like, she she ran, okay, she attended an exclusive private, private boarding school in Shanghai, where at 16, she organized and ran her own drug and prostitution ring, entrapping yes. and extorting members of the administration and faculty in a brazen blackmail scam. She was identified as a person of interest in connection with a series of accidental overdoses. <laughs> And when rumors surfaced that her father was killed either by herself or by somebody who had been hired by her so that she could inherit her father's operation because her father was a huge, uh, a big triad, uh, that's when they put a hit on her head and she ran away from Hong Kong. And she tricked um, Andrew Packard into falling in love with her. There's a moment where they detail how Andrew Packard uh, proposed to her and she was like, I have to think about it. And he went back to Twin Peaks. And then three weeks later, Josie Packard showed up at his door, accepted his proposal, and she was wearing only high heels, a mink coat, and Chanel number no, five, according no. to the book. All right. You, you lost me. Sorry, Mark. Uh, it was such good Josie lore. And then yep. uh, I'm, I'm out. Sorry. Basically, is, is the Josie is like the Hong Kong stuff in the book. Like, I mean, it's obviously written by a white guy. But does it feel like this guy has no idea what he's talking about in that way? No, that- no. It just feels like they're – it just doesn't feel like the Josie from the TV show. Like, yeah. That, that's sure. what he felt like. It, it, it just felt like – it just feels like they were like, Josie was actually evil. I was like, Josie was Moriarty. <laughs> I don't know. Like, she, she wasn't – if she was Moriarty, she was really boring. There's a moment where she just – where, they, where uh, Co- again, this is Cooper, describes Josie – going after Harry Truman. And the dossier says, a man of more pristine character in the region is impossible to come by. But <laughs> Josie's charms were world class. And Harry He's was a, a really small town. Friend. And Harry was a small town guy who never found the right woman. The wrong one found him first. Like, come oh. on, Cooper. It's a little <laughs> editorializing. Yeah. Then there's like a, an excerpt from, uh, there's a really funny part where Cooper puts an excerpt from the newspaper detailing the death of Andrew Park- Packard. And Teresa Preston points out that the twist that uh, Josie killed her husband in the boat is very similar to the movie Body Heat. 
What? <laughs> like she, that, <laughs> she literally says that. And then the book gets into the history of Hank Jennings. Um, oh, no. Okay. No, no. Okay. What's I, going on so basically, Hank Jennings uh, used to be a book house boy. His first yeah, ever moral corruption was in 1968 when he fumbled a game for the Twin Peaks uh, high school base, uh, football team so that Jean Renault could win a huge bet. Stop yeah. it. Stop Oh, they that. all knew each other. They're friends. Yes. No, so, this is no good. No, you want to know how much they all knew each other? In that team, not only was Hank Jennings in that team, but also Harry Truman, Truman Big Ed Hurley. Yeah. And uh, the coach Bobo Hobson, Hobson, which I think oh, is the sure. coach, yeah, is yeah, the yeah. coach from the show. But basically, there's a very funny section where Cooper recounts somebody else telling him how um, John Renault was overheard bragging during a poker game that he placed a substantial wager on underdog Kettle Falls against Twin Peaks and then fixed the outcome. When asked why he'd go to all that trouble to corrupt a high school football game, Jean laughed and was heard to say in thickly accident English, because I can. Because I can. <laughs> because I can. Um, Wait, okay. A- so how how does the, like, what's the purpose? The archivist is still assembling all this stuff. Yes. So the archivist is What's doing the this to- the purpose of that? The reason why, to be honest, the reason why is because Mark Frost felt that he-, he I feel like this is Mark Frost giving you the red meat so that you stick around for 200 more pages of uh, conspiracy stuff. Um, yeah. But basically, I think what the, the archivist's excuse is that he's painting a picture of Twin Peaks as a whole so that you understand where Douglas Milford came for, from and went from at, for at the end. Um, the book then talks about how, uh, Norma and Big Ed didn't get together and how Hank got together with Norma. And then it talks about how, uh, Ed got together with Nadine and the book is really mean to Nadine. Like the book straight up calls Nadine about like, says that she had a a scope of mental issues and says that she was about to snap, that she was always a little bit off. Um, Mark, my boy. There's a very funny part where uh, Teresa Preston at the end of a part where Cooper wrote like the history of Hank Jennings and Norma. And Teresa Preston is like, my first question is, why did he write this? <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same, Tamara. Same. Then there's a four page journal from uh, Hawk recounting Ooh, hey. how. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's really funny because you can hear his, him through the text. And it's like, oh, okay, this is really good. This is a great example of capturing like an actor's performance for text. And this is when I found out that this book has an audiobook version, which changes a lot of the book to have it be narrated by the actual characters, which is great. Oh, that's cool. Uh, this is the part of the book that uh, that dictates, uh, that tells you how Ed met Nadine. And apparently what happened cool. is that Ed, uh, Nadine drove like a, uh, a John Deere, whatever that is, Attractive. into a tractor into one of Ed's cars and she jumped out of it and landed in Ed's arms. And she was like, Oh, I love you. And then it was like, and then Ed was like, <laughs> I guess I love you too. And, um, hog writes, and she saw that expression on his face. And I guess mistook it for something like who knows with her romantic longing. It's just really good. There's also a whole section where Andy tells Hawk about how Nadine's family has a history of mental illnesses. And Hawk recounts the way Andy talks. It's really funny because it's like, 
Andy, it turns out, owns some kind of ninth degree black belt in gossip, which is about his best quality as a law enforcement officer. Nah. And I mean that as a positive. Or as he put it to me later, you know, Hank, I never think of myself as a gossip. I think of myself as an oral historian. Yeah. Which is, uh, is really great. I'll take it. I'll take it. That's a funny um, one, Andy. It then, it then details how Nadine lost her eye. And Hawk theorizes that the loss from Nadine's eyes put a permanent, quote unquote, zap on her head. And then it gets into a section about uh, Dr. Jacoby. And then something that I actually thought was really cool. Um, Jacoby, you read the documents where he's analyzing the dean. And he says that one possible interpretation as to why Nadine went blind, not just because she got in an accident where like Ed accidentally shot her eye out. Jacoby says would be that she was sensing something going on around her that she didn't want to see, which I thought was like, oh, that's kind of like cool David Lynch stuff. Or it's like, oh, I guess. Yeah. Symbol symbolism. Realist. Yeah. So basically he writes a hasty, impulsive marriage, which all too soon resulted in the wound to the eye, but which point the patient was already in the grip of a mania about quote unquote silent drape runners. And I cheered in this part because of course, in which he spends every waking moment trying to design and build the perfect prototype. Come to think of it, what better way to deny and conceal the shame you feel is all around you than by silently covering it up? Which I was like, Mark, thank you for trying to make that make sense. You don't have to try. Um, <laughs> then it details how Andrew Packard uh, came back to life. And then you have a page where it's written by uh, Truman in his ha- uh, handwriting. And he's like, uh, thank you for writing this coop. It helped, I guess. Uh, I don't know if you talked about this, but there's an autopsy for uh, Josie Packard. And it says that her body weighed 25 pounds after death. But uh-huh. The weight of a drawer? Yeah. Shut up. But while, while <laughs> nope, decline. No, I don't. I don't think it's the way. It doesn't say that. It just says, Doctor Hayward just says body weighs much less, at least twenty five pounds, and physical appearance would indicate. I have no explanation for this. Like that's it. Great. Okay. And then so it gets the only thing that can be. That's, that's the only thing that can be. Yeah. Uh, it gets into the explosion at the bank. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Whatever. What so what yeah, Pete dies at explosion. No. Uh, and your Park. Yeah. Andrew Packard dies at explosion. Audrey Good. does not die at explosion. Uh, Delbert Milbler also dies. But no. here's how here's how the news here's how the newspaper recounts that the second victim, whose body we whose body we were told was found on the stairs to the first floor, was the bank's longtime assistant manager, Delbert Milbler. Mibler. A beloved presence in our downtown community and the grandson of one of the bank's founding partners back in 1906, Mr. Mibbler was believed to be less than a week away from officially retiring after 58 years at this family's, family's yeah. institution. Literally a week from retirement. That's yeah. incredible. Damn. Uh, here the book sets up some stuff for season for the return. So here it sets up how Catherine Martell, after Pete's death, got the, like all the riches from the, the mill. And uh-huh. shut it down a few years later and sold it to Benjamin Horn. And uh, yeah, I guess so that whole plot line was for nothing. <laughs> there's the there's a little note that Audrey were, wrote to Benjamin before going to the bank talking about how he sucks. 
But then the archivist is like, Ben Horn experienced no overnight conversion, however. As noted, he went ahead with the purchase of the mill and goes with from Catherine. But something did change in the man at that point. There's a funny little, uh, like, a a report from Dr. Jacoby about the fucking Civil War plotline, like, Mm -hmm. detailing how Benjamin Horn was cuckoo. Uh, We also learned that Hank Jennings died in prison. Yep. Uh, cool. He he okay. got fatally knifed, yep. and that in his death. Oh, he got fatally knifed by somebody who turned out to be a distant cousin from the Renault family. So yeah. that's vengeance. Yeah, only good Renault content in this book so far. Uh, in his death, he wrote a note apologizing to Norma, and he also admitted that he fixed the football game that he attempted to murder Andrew Park Packard, and he admitted to all his crimes and death. All like right. Words were go for a pass, and uh, I'd rather you be his wife. Than- <laughs> his final words were actually, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." I'm so- oh, okay. Well, not not Which forgiven, is- but short. Uh, here the book. This is the middle of the book. So what Whoa. they do here? <laughs> Jesus Christ. So what they do here is actually really funny. They uh, the archivist posts a photo of, um, uh, like um like a shelf at the book house. And it says, these are each of the favorite books of some of the people in Twin Peaks. So here That's are the cute. favorite books of some of the people in Twin Peaks. Okay. Hawk's so tell favorite. Us the, tell us the book and we'll try. To get oh, okay. It. Okay. The first one is fear and loathing on the campaign trail 72. Who do you think that is? Truman. Um, no, no, that's got fear and loathing on the campaign trail. Yes. That's gotta be Dwayne Milford. Of course. That's Hawk. No. What? Yeah. The next one is The World According to Garp by John Irving. Who do you think that is? That's that's Andy. That is Andy. You're right. Nice. The third one is Charlotte's Web. Oh. Lucy? <laughs> it's actually James. What? Oh, what? James. Uh, there's a section about, of, oh, it's about like friendship. There's a part in the book where uh, Hawk mentions that it's been his favorite book since uh, James' favorite book since he was a kid. Um, That's cute. I'll give it up. The next one is The Stand by Stephen King. Whoa. Shut up. No way. Who do you think that is? Harry Truman. Uh, Alan, do you have a guess? Uh, 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 what's his face? Oh, I guess Albert's not from Twin Peaks. That's no. What I was guess. The stand? It's actually Lucy. What? Stop <laughs> it. They rolled Stop. dice for this. <laughs> Lucy was like, I, re- I really love Stephen King. Uh, <laughs> next one is To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, that's Truman because it's like about justice. That is Harry Truman. Yeah. Next one is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Why is that okay. not James? The fact that that's not James annoys me. That's right. actually Ed. And there's a note where Ed yeah. says, Read oh. it f- Ed says, Read it five times. Next time through, I think I'm really going to figure it out. This is really funny. King, me reading any book. Go ahead. There's a book uh, called Angle of Repose. I don't know what it is, but it's by uh-huh. uh, Frank Truman, who's Harry's brother. Okay. Yeah. Then there's the Warren Commission report, the official report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Whoa. Who do you Ooh. think that is? Whoa. Is that like Dwayne Milford somehow? That's Cooper. Uh, oh, uh, sure. Sure, sure. Then there's two books by people who uh, I do not know who they are. Cappy and Toad. Uh, so oh, dude, Cappy. Cappy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I get revenge for Cappy. 
Cappy. I, I do not remember who Cappy, Cappy was. Sorry. is in like literally the final episode or second to final episode of the show. And for about three seconds, he like works with Major Briggs. That's so his, he's a bookhouse boy that works, helps Major Briggs. His favorite book is The Boys of Summer by Roger Kahn. Sure. <laughs> and okay, to- God not? bless Cappy. Toad's favorite book is R. Crumb's sketchbook. And then at the end, we have Hank's book, which I cannot make it out. I think it's Double Indemnity, which is really fucking funny. <laughs> He's like, oh, this guy's got some good ideas. Shut yeah. They actually mentioned in the book that Hank was really into Raymond Chandler, which might have given him ideas yeah. of how to make yep. crimes. But mm. the thing that's Tracks. really funny about this uh, photo is that I realized that the number one is replaced by I in this photo. And the archivist, Major Briggs, reads, good literature is a mirror through which we see ourselves more clearly. So I was like, huh. So I put the book in front of a mirror. And if you do that, and if you do that, you realize that the only numbers that don't get reflected and changed are the numbers 1, 8, and 11. And if you take the first words of each of those books, they spell out fear, which is fear and loathing, the, the official report, and the last one is double indemnity. So it spells out fear the double. And Ooh. I realized and I realized that uh, the only number, if you look around, that's not reflected is eight, which is Cooper's book. So Whoa. I thought that was actually really fucking cool. That was I was I was standing in front of my mirror, Whoa. my mirror going, holy cool. shit. Anyway. So we get back to Dougie Milford, and this is where Nixon comes into play. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> Stop it. Nixon is a major character in the latter half of this book. So uh, this is not a joke. He actually is. If, and if, Milford if is really Milford, on his side. If Dougie Milford sits down with Nixon and Elvis, I will leave the show. Um, Milford sits down with Nixon and another person. I'll tell you who later. Okay. So Nixon first shows up interviewing El- Ron Hubbard. <laughs> who talks about, and again, we get back to this whole, like, these are real things that he's talking about. Uh, Ron Rubber talks about this guy called Jack Parsons, who was a rocket scientist who was really into the occult and who was a friend of mm-hmm. Alistair Crowley. And who, and basically, if you go look up Jack Parsons, you find out that Jack Parsons was into this religion, this occult magic religion um, that L. Ron Hubbard basically stole from him and made a Scientology on top of that. And mm-hmm. the book is very clearly about how, like, L. Ron Hubbard is a fucking, like, con man. Um, but this is the interesting part. L. Ron Hubbard recounts meeting Jack Parsons. And again, okay. Jack Parsons is a guy who's working at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, essential figure in the world of missiles and bombs in the 20th century. Again, nuclear bombs. Think about that. Because Jack Parsons is wearing the ring. So Mm. the ring disappears. Last scene, Meriwether uh, Meriwether Meriwether. Lewis shows up back up with Jack Parsons, Uh real person. And Jack Parsons at one point says, magic is just a name we've always given to things we don't yet understand. The magician longs to see. L. Ron Hubbard is like, excuse me, what's that? Jack Parsons trails a hand along the one of the walls. I've often felt there were spirits in this wood. And we find out that the wood that Jack Parsons used to build his actual real-life mansion is from Twin Peaks. Oh. So, the book then details how Rod Hubbard is a con man and who basically was lying and, and to- told all this to Nixon just to get out of like a jail sentence. Okay. Um, and then Jack Parsons is interviewed by Douglas Milford because, like we talked about, Dougie Milford is a man in black. So he's investigating these things. Dougie Milford goes to investigate uh, Jack Parsons. And Jack Parsons says that he and L. Ron Hubbard, 
they did a ritual in the desert and they saw things that maybe men weren't supposed to see. And then Jack Parson talks about how he met, sorry, Dougie Milford talks about how he met a friend of Parsons and how one day he, Parsons and Hubbard or someone else, I'm not sure, did a, a ritual that attempted to summon into human form the spirit, spirit of a figure central to the Thelema Pantheon. That's the Jack Parsons religion. The goddess mm. Babylon, known as the mother of abominations. Okay. And, the, and, and Douglas Bill realizes that this ritual happened a few days before the alien crash in Roswell. And so Theresa Parsons is like, is Douglas Milford implying that Jack Parsons opened up a gate for aliens? Aliens, they gone through, yes. Okay, yes. great. Yeah, makes sense. So then we move on a little bit forward. Douglas Milford talks more to Nixon. Then there's this section where I think it's really, really funny. Uh, we, um, Sorry, before that. Douglas Milford talks to Jack Parsons again, sees the ring. Jack Parsons dies in the explosion accident. And everyone's like, that's fucking weird because Jack Parsons was really good with bombs. Why did he die in an explosion accident? And what's missing in the explosion? Much like Meriwether Lewis, the fucking ring. So here we go again. Somebody's killing these people that have the ring and they're taking the ring. Think about it. Where is the ring going to show up next? You'll be surprised when you find out where. So... This is the part I actually started writing the book, so I'm starting to go a little bit crazy because I'm realizing this book is basically implying that when the Americans built the nuclear bomb, they opened a gate into something that is impossible to describe and may have permanently doomed the world. And somebody says about Jack Parson, once a magician stands between two worlds, he's in danger of not belonging to either one of them. In the end, Jack danced too close to the flames and it cost him in his life. And that's exactly what they talked about with Leland Palmer. So in the end, he says, I believe Jack Parsons summoned a fire demon. So in my mind, I'm like, is Mark Frost saying that Bob is the embodiment of nuclear power? Because Bob is fire, right? Like that's yeah. fire. That's the thing. Yeah. So I'm going crazy right now in this part. And this is the moment where Douglas Milford basically leaves the government but keeps working for the government because he has a contact inside Ike's, uh, who I think is um, Ike is Eisenhower, right? Yes. Yeah. We like Ike? Yeah. Uh, by yeah, the way, like just Ike. I need to say this because I know who's, people who are listening who are screaming right now. If you've watched yeah. The Return, keep giggling. Keep smiling. I'm, Sorry. I'm, I'm also so screaming. Time. I've watched enough of The Return that I'm so like, basically, oh, screaming shit. as well. Yeah. <laughs> basically, uh, Douglas Milford has a contact inside of Ike's uh, government who he calls M. And keep that in mind. So we don't know who that is yet. But basically, okay. Douglas Milford talks about how Ike Eisenhower... He had a meeting with aliens, and the aliens gave him a thing called the Yellow Book, which Douglas says reported to be advanced technological viewer that also played pictures of objects in deep space. And Teresa Preston is like, maybe it was Steve Jobs from the future offering them a beta version of the iPad. But I'm like, motherfucker, there's something going on because Ike Eisenhower... he he talked. Didn't Eisenhower talk about how we should be careful about the industrial military, military industrial, industrial complex? complex? And I'm yeah. right. And I'm like, what did he see? And then 
at this moment, they're also talking about Majestic 12, and Douglas yeah. Bifford talk about how the, the, the Majestic 12 are the wise men, and they want to keep all this knowledge to themselves, and M and his contact inside the government wants to spread it to the world, and then you find out that his contact, M, is fucking Richard Nixon, who's who's actually a UFO uh, like enthusiast, and who no knows that way. all of the shit the government put, puts out is bullshit no. to hide the I fact that- UFOs. That they knew. So there's a section where they, he's where Dixon is talking to Douglas Milford, private meeting, and this Nixon by now president says they've played you for a fool, Colonel. I won't do the voice. Uh, basically, say how like the government has been giving you shit because these bastards have been sitting on pure dynamite for 20 years. Ike never told me what he knew. Too much West Point in the old man, God bless him, always following orders. But he knew something, and I guess it was a lot of something. They say Kennedy was sniffing around after whatever Ike knew, but was too busy chasing broads to give it the attention it deserved. LBJ has a cunning mind, but the curiosity of a dung beetle. Too busy selling petty, selling petty scores in the shit to look up at the stars. I'd like to change all that. So Nixon is like, I'm president now. We're going to look into the shit, me and you. And Douglas, but I need you to pretend that you're not. So Douglas moves back to Twin Peaks. And then there's a moment where Douglas goes to meet with Nixon. And Jackie Gleason from The Honeymooners, who real fact was fucking obsessed with UFOs too. And 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 Nixon shows Douglas Milford... Two episode character of Twipics and Jackie Gleason, he shows them <laughs> aliens in an underground base. And I Google this. And like, this is like Jackie Gleason told his wife that this actually happened. Jackie Gleason told his wife that Nixon showed him aliens. Like that is not that is not made up. Jackie Gleason said it happened. And I'm like, by this point, I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, I'm actually going insane. And this is the moment where the book drops the fucking part that kills me. This is this is from the journals of Douglas, and he's he, he's writing down what's happening. And he says the president sets down his empty glass to look at his bookshelves, and yeah. I notice he's wearing a green ring on the ring finger of his no. right hand. Yes. So, Whoa! Yes. So Richard Nixon has the green ring. So I'm realizing now: does this mean Nixon went to their side? Does this mean Nixon thinks that he's like a hero now, but he's actually on their side? Is that what's going on? Like, because Nixon has a ring, and everyone who has the ring either gets too close to knowledge or like I'm, I'm going insane I'm going crazy like I'm straight up sweating as I'm talking about this because <laughs> it's literally crazy so like okay so the ring was with Nixon right but they yeah, ne- but sure. I don't know how the ring goes to under the trailer and firewalk with me but yeah, I right. do know and I'm gonna skip ahead of the book a little bit I do know that that nurse takes mm-hmm. the ring from Eddie yeah. right yeah. right and basically, the ring skips around for a few people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they say it went to Lana Milford. Yeah. Great, great. And great. Lana Milford, oh my God, I'm sweaty. After <laughs> Douglas and Dwayne died, Lana Milford hopped around for a few husbands. And one of her husbands for a time was the person the book describes, a strangely coughed walls... Uh, Fifth Avenue businessman who was once yeah. seen wearing the ring as he walked out of a building bearing his name. So I'm like, did the book did the Is book just imply Don- that Don- Donald, Donald Trump, Trump no! yes has the ring <laughs> had the ring in the 90s? And I'm like, 
What is going on? I just literally jumped out of my chair. I just did like a bounce. I'm I'm just okay. All right. So when did this book come out again? When did this book come out again? 2016. Let's go. Let's go, boys. October, right. October 2016. Shut up. Sucks Shut so up. much. This actually that sucks. sucks so much. <laughs> Sorry. I'm okay. Back now. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> so basically, what happens happen after this is that Nixon gets caught for water for uh, Watergate, and the book theorizes that uh, the book is not saying that Watergate is a cover up because Nixon found out about the aliens or something. The book doesn't say that. The book says that there was Watergate and also the aliens. But basically, the book That's says good. that Nixon. That's told good. Douglas Milford to go back to Twin Peaks and to build something called Listening Post Alpha, right? And Nixon okay. gave uh, gave Milford like the con- a contact in the FBI who would help him build this location because Listening Post Alpha would be like the location where they would figure out this stuff. And do you want to know who that person in the FBI was? Gordon Cole. fucking Gordon Cole. Cole. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. So Douglas Milford goes back to Twin Peaks. She starts building this place. There's like newspaper clippings of Harry Dean Stanton complaining about the construction. And then Douglas is like, he asks Gordon Cole and Philip Jeffries to pretend that this construction is part of Reagan's strategic defense initiative. So he's Uh. hiding the construction of this place. Listen, he posts Alpha. And then the book just kind of goes into like, here's what happened to every single person after the story of Twin Peaks. So it's like, here's what happened to Douglas. Here's what happened to Margaret. Here's what happened to this and this and that. And I got to be honest with you, this part, not as interesting to me, apart from one section where um, Jacoby submits like uh, basically like a, a document, I think. Uh, like final case notes or something and then the next page and he's like writing about his, his experience with Native American tribes and, and natives and like about uh, Leland Palmer and all that and by uh, how there's this thing in this book where there are photos where if you look at them you can see the photo but then there's something on top of the photo you can't see and if you put on 3D, 3D glasses, glasses? Yes! you can see no. you can see hidden messages so like for example there's a photo of Leland Palmer and if you put on the 3D glasses you can see Bob in the photo so all right so the thing that the reason why i want to bring this up is because he submits all that and then the next page is the response from the washington state medical association which says dear sir after consideration of your case the state medical review board has decided to indefinitely suspend your license to practice medicine as a psychiatrist (laughs) in the state of washington (laughs) which i just think is really funny okay so basically the book kind of wraps up it goes over like the Milfords and a lot of Milford and the book goes into like listening post alpha and it uh-huh. explains that Douglas Milford handpicked Colonel Briggs to, to, to go over to, to take over listening post alpha. And that's why he's the archivist. And basically he's like, he has, he's a lookout. He's like a lookout, right? He's like a lookout trying to figure out what's going on. And that's why Briggs knows all that shit in the show. You know, like right. that's why Briggs that is all sense. like, Oh, I know what's going on. That's why Briggs disappeared. We actually ha- see Briggs recounting his disappearance to the show and all that. And there's like a funny mm-hmm. bit where Teresa is like, um, "Oh, hey, here, uh, this this court, this matches what Cooper said in his notes." Anyway, basically, there's a part where um, he asks, "What is your mission here?" And they reply, "Monitor our array of equipment in order to detect signs of intelligent non-human life, not only in deep space but here on Earth in our immediate surroundings. Attempt to discern their intentions and keep a watchful eye for signs of imminent attack." So basically, they knew something was coming, and they were like, "We gotta 
you got to look out for it. And that's when, uh, Doug, when, when, not Douglas, that's when Briggs is like, I think I know what the missing piece is. It's like, I think it's Cooper. He's like, oh, I think Cooper is the missing piece because, of course, perfect sense. It must be Cooper. All the stars aligned. Why else would Gordon Cole have sent him here? Maybe Cooper mm-hmm. wasn't yet fully aware of the wise wherefores himself, but I've learned by now that chance events often prove providential. Convincing myself that Special Agent Dale Cooper will be the one whom I carry on this work. So basically, he's like, Cooper is going to be my successor. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. Cooper is my successor. I, I, mm-hmm. I know exactly. So he's like, hold on a second. Whew. I, I need to take. I, I need to. I need to take a breath. Okay, so after learning of the death of Douglas, uh, uh-huh. he Briggs went to listening post Alpha, and he receives one final message, and the message is from Milford. It was written the night Briggs disappeared in the show, and Milford is like, "I regret what he did. Uh, the government knows more than than all of us, and I think this Black Lodge stuff, like, there's something fucked up, and I feel like we are messing with things bigger, and that the gate between our two wor- the worlds is going wilder, you know." And um, he's like, "Briggs, you you gotta continue the work. You gotta keep on moving, continue the work." So Briggs thinks. That the person who's going to continue his work is Cooper, is Cooper. right? Uh-huh. So the yeah. final page is him. He sets up the listening post alpha. He's like, yeah. I'm going to go to Cooper. And the last paragraph is 12.05 p.m. March 28th, 1989. He just left. Something's wrong. The message holds the answer just as I thought, but I've misinterpreted it. Protocols are in place. I must act quickly. I'm heading to the listening post alpha alone. Mayday. So basically... Briggs realizes that it's like it's not that Cooper was his it's not that Cooper was his successor. Cooper was the fucking thing that was gonna come out of the Black Lodge. And and Oh man. And that's how the book ends. And I swear to God, when I ended huh. the book, I was just like, fuck. I was like, oh shit. Like, what is <laughs> this? Like, 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 like ah! sorry. And and that's the secret history of Twin Peaks. Like that's sort of, so the final page is Tamara Preston. She's like, I don't know what happened to either Major Briggs or Agent Cooper at this point. There are files on Briggs at both the FBI and Air Force and on Cooper at the FBI. There are designated many levels above top secret out of my reach. I've taken my analysis as far as I can. My instructions are clear. I'm to turn over the dossier with my findings to the director's office and wait for the response. Deadlines are pressing. I'm guessing that if and only if they find my work to date acceptable, they will have me begin breaking down the other, other data, which I have not yet seen. The rest is out of my hands. I'm still listed on the duty roster as on assignment, but as far as I can determine, have been removed from active service until that decision is reached. As Director Cole once told me, that time he took me out for coffee, a big part of this job, and for that matter, life itself, is waiting for the right moment. I interpreted that as Mark Frost being like, wait for the show. You know, answers are coming on the show. So mm-hmm. if I if I if I can if I can put together what I figured out, like listening post alpha was trying to find the White Lodge, like that was what Garland Briggs was trying to find. Okay, sure, cool, sure. So Briggs thinks that Cooper is going to continue the work, but then he figures out that Cooper has been taken over, and then he goes off to send a signal. There's no more mention of Briggs. I'm thinking Briggs died or something like that. Like I think that's yeah, what happened is that Briggs that. died, Probably. and that the message wasn't sent. So basically, here's what I think the return is about. I think the return is about um, whatever walked out of the Black Lodge that day is going to try to open the door even wider 
And while it's going to accidentally let Cooper out, it's going to let more evil things in and that it, it there's going to be like a chance for them to shut, to like close the gate. But I think Cooper is going to, because Cooper, when he went into the lodge, it was like, you must be pure heart or something. And he wasn't. Right. Uh, so I think there's going to be like an opportunity for to fix everything. And I think Cooper is going to, he's going to be like, no, I won't, I, I won't, I won't, I will use this power for something else. And I know that that Cheryl Lee is in the show. Uh, I know she shows up in the return. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking here that they're gonna bring Laura Palmer back. Like that's what I'm thinking. And I, and I, and I'm thinking that that's like that's like they're, they're, that's like Cooper being tempted to bring Laura Palmer back. Like he's obsessed with this woman. He brings her back, and that in turns, you know, open it opens it wider for more things to cross over. All these these demons and creepy crawlies that 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 have been seen on the other side. Because and that's the thing. The book explicitly says that while there have been sightings of mm -hmm. UFOs in the past, that these sightings increased tenfold, a hundredfold after the nuclear uh, bomb. So the book is basically saying that whatever that thing was, it let in even more evil into our world. And people mm -hmm. and now normal people are seeing it every day. And so it's going to be about fighting that evil. And that's what I think. And oh. holy shit, this book is insane. <laughs> it this sounds like it. Well, okay, so what it sounds like to me is, uh, sorry, I've been in deep meditative thought for the past hour, um, is Mark Frost really, really loves conspiracies. And what makes a conspiracy more entertaining than suggesting how it intersects with real life things that we know? Um, mm -hmm. That's the way that you keep a conspiracy engaging, a la like the X-Files yeah. and stuff. Um, so he yeah. did that for like, whatever, 150 plus pages. And then he realized that he also had to make it a Twin Peaks book. And so he yeah. does some, some, like, making a guy who just happens to witness a bunch of history is, like, such a classic literary technique to incorporate conspiracy and re the real world into your fictional universe. Um, yeah. And then also, yeah, it seems like there's, it's, like, three chunks, because then there's that third chunk that's all, hey, what are some ideas and themes that we're going to play around with in, in the return? I, um, I will say, uh, I've only seen, like, most of the first half of the return or I've seen a little over the first half of the return, I should say. And that like, this is connected to it. This is connected. You're going to like watching the return. Michelle. <laughs> I'm very interested. I'm very interested because what I saw, what I saw in this book, like, I agree with you. It, it, it did feel a lot. A lot of times it did feel like, it was just like Mark Frost being like, I just want to tell you about these cool things that I know. And I get it. Like, I've mm -hmm. put theme park shit in so much of my writing. It has nothing to do with what I'm writing, but but it's like it it, it did not feel as it, it felt like it felt like it was kind of telling us that Twin Peaks: The Return is gonna be more like the last episode of Twin Peaks and less like the first tw uh, thirty two yes. episodes of definitely Twin true. Peaks. Definitely yes, true. Yes, that is definitely the case. Yeah, yeah. Th this uh, for everything that you described. It makes it so clear what parts of what I've seen of the return are like Our Mark, Mark Frost ideas, uh, because some of this stuff is in the return in a way, or some of these themes or ideas, and there's not really any Nixon stuff in the return. Nixon oh, Nixon thing. is not a main character. Sorry, I'm disappointed. <laughs> no, dude, Nixon uh, shows up in his book so out of nowhere, and you're like, oh, that's funny, Nixon, and then you turn around, is like. Oh, there's more Nixon. Oh, oh, yeah. oh no, there's even more Nixon. Oh, Nixon's oh, the hero of the book. What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> Nixon is everywhere in this book. 
Like the the part where it's Nixon with Jackie Gleason and they see aliens, and That's I was just really like, good. It's uh, so good. That part is just terrifying because because it's terrifying because you read it and you go, this is so stupid. And then you go online and it's like, Jackie Gleason did say he saw aliens with Nixon. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, why did Jackie Gleason see? And, and apparently like Jackie Gleason saw it and his wife was like, he was really depressed for weeks after that. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, Stop holy that. shit, what did he see Stop there? That. Funny. <laughs> um, but it, it, I'm surprised. I, I really thought that the book was just, and here's what happened to this character or here's how this character came about. I thought that was more of a part of it. Um, And I'm surprised by how much this book actually is like something that meditates on things in the return Mm -hmm. and, and is like somewhat relevant to it. I I didn't expect that to be the case. I think it's like, you know, it, how, how, this came out before the return, right? And and I'm yeah, a I'm, right I'm a firm believer of of uh, if this came out before the return, it has and and you need to watch the return to un- to understand some of these ideas. Damn, that's some fucking planning. But like the thing is, apparently, yeah. this they wrote he wrote this while they were planning like the original version of the return, which was only going to be like nine parts, mm-hmm. and then the return mm-hmm. got expanded, and then because. Interesting. I looked. I looked very briefly because I have not seen a single episode of Returning yet, and I want to hold myself back. I want. I want to go in and clean, you know. Uh, but it it just feels to me like, like damn, like they're working with some whack ass shit in this, <laughs> in this show. <laughs> like this show is gonna be fucking weird. I can't wait for you to watch the first episode. Yeah, yeah. Immediately <laughs> you're like, oh shit, oh, and you're gonna have to. There's the book. there's something in the first episode. That uh, anyway, I'm yeah. Listeners anyway. know we're talking about because this is coming out with episode three, right? Yeah, I'm talking about the stuff in the box. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. What's in the I'm box? Talking. What's in the, What's box? in the box? Well, you'll have oh, to find out. You'll, yeah, you'll you'll see. <laughs> anyway, I'm actually gonna uh, brew myself a cup of coffee right after this and watch the first episode of oh, the return. Please, please, please do. <laughs> I want your takes in the Discord. Please. Here, here's all I'll say. Um. If you want to read a book that's like, here's the connective tissue between season three and season two of Twin Peaks, this is one third of that. If you do want to get into Mark Frost's weird brain about like, like if you, <laughs> this is like sitting down with Mark Frost and he's like, all right, how many hours do you got? And you're like, oh, I got as much time as you want. All right. Meriwether Lewis. Was- <laughs> <laughs> like it's, 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 it, it goes places. It goes some weird ass places. Yeah. I definitely recommend it. I mean, I wrote. I felt the urge to. I uh, my copy has some notes and it sounds insane. Like there's a there's a part where I just highlighted a a, 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 a saying and I wrote nuclear power equals evil and I was uh, I could feel myself <laughs> going. I'm so <laughs> close to cracking it. Oh yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, I you have definitely developed some pretty clear takes that. Well, I won't say anymore, but I I. It's like cool to hear how much you got out of it and how like the way that you interacted with the book was kind of the way that the book is interacting with itself. Like you're writing notes on top of Tamara Preston's notes or something like that's kind of cool. It's a cool format for a book. Mm -hmm. Like um, what's that book that's like interactive that everybody likes the butterfly. The one that you can like rotate the book. It's a physical book that people like a lot. 
Uh, no idea. You know, you know what this reminded me of? I have very, very big memories of, um, do you guys remember Series of Unfortunate Events? I do. Yeah. They came out with this book, uh, which was like a dossier on the, um, on the adventures of Lemony Snicket. And it's like, who is Lemony mm. Snicket? Who is this? Because uh-huh. the books are, are, are written as if they're written by some guy called Lemony Snicket who has like a secret society. And that book was a lot like this book where it was like, oh, here's pages from newspapers. Here's pages from this, here's pages from that. And like, let's piece it all together. This book, however, I did feel like there was a more clear um, through line. Uh, the, fa- the, the presence of, t- of Tamara Preston is very helpful. Not just because of what I told you before, where it's like she tells you what is actually real and what is fe- fiction within the world of Tim Peaks, but she kind of does the layman reading of some stuff. So if you read something and you're like, what the fuck is this? I don't understand it. And th- she comes in and she's like, I think this is that. And you're like, good guess, Tamara, but I think it's diff- like, you know, it's <laughs> very interesting. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 300 and something pages. Chunky. And then he made another one after the return. And it, and it's in glorious like hardback. It's yeah. it's a really beautiful <laughs> book. The other one is thinner, thinner. That's why I'm like kind of worried. I think it has less interactive elements. It's more <laughs> like just here's a bunch of dossiers. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm so I, I I have no water in my throat. <laughs> well, Michelle, we'll uh, we'll let you report punch yourself and get some coffee and and activate your body again but uh, we, we can't thank you enough for the service that you've done for us today no this was uh this was a pleasure right now i i saved us hundreds of hours it was <laughs> so much fun to get into the brain of mark frost oh yeah yeah, yeah you got frost pilled and i'm happy for you um, <laughs> uh, this this has been my uh frosted tip <laughs> so where can people find you online uh, you can find me at Michelle Deschamps on Twitter, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-I-C-H-A-N as in A-V-D at Twitter. You can listen to me on Full Metal Analysts, where I don't do this, but it's somewhat close to this for Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, when this comes out, we'll probably be wrapping up our year of brotherhood. So you could like watch the entire show with us with, without having to wait for us to catch up. If you were that kind yeah. of person, I don't know why I would do that. But uh, uh, if you like Doctor Who, which you should, uh, I do another podcast called Potter Who Cast, and that's about Doctor Who and its spinoffs. Doctor Who's fun. That's it. Nice. There's a ghost that yells, that's really, doesn't look at you, and then it screams. That's what I know about Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Michelle. Uh, thank you to Magellan. For being the Richard Nixon to my uh, Jackie Gleason. <laughs> and uh, this has been Peaks Chats. And that was a damn fine podcast. <laughs>